Hey, what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You, could fly you know how we do it. Look to the stars and let every boy and girl know that they can be larger than life. And you know, it doesn't have to be little boys and girls. It can be grown-up boys and girls, just like you and I. So it's everybody, man. Everybody can strive to live larger than life. And my guest today is someone that's going to help us do exactly that. And he is the author of a new book that's coming out called Mind to Mind Conversation. And uh, it comes out in August. He's going to be doing a book tour throughout the entire month of August. And we get the pleasure of welcoming him here on the podcast. Dennis Hashi is with us here all the way from Nova Scotia. Hi, Larry. How are you? <laughs> Fine. How are you? Great, great. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to learning more about your book. You were very diligent in sending me a lot of pre-show press, which I read over. I'm interested to find out more about what your inspiration was and you know, what your goals are for the book and everything that surrounds the creation process there of writing a book like this. Well, my goal is really to help people. And I think once we amass some knowledge, it's always great to be able to share that. When we see things in a different looking glass, it's such a good thing to be able to help somebody that hasn't experienced the uh, material that we've learned. And I always say that uh, you can light up a hundred candle with a single candle, and that first candle is never going to change. It's still going to be lit up without losing anything. And I believe sharing knowledge is, is the same way. I like that, you know, and, and this is something that is kind of an ongoing theme as far as the podcast goes. I've mentioned it on more than one occasion that I feel similarly and that I think it's our obligation once we achieve so much in a given area of expertise to start sharing that knowledge back. You know, I was a martial artist for many, many years, and once I achieved black belt, I felt it was time to start teaching and giving back to the art that I had studied for so long. And it's the same with podcasting. You know, I started podcasting several years back, and once I got my podcast going and understood the, the medium, I created a course on podcasting through a mutual friend, Ellie, as a matter of fact. To, to this day, I still help folks launch their podcasts and, and uh, even their books. So go right ahead with tell us more about that. Good, good. To make it a Reader's Digest version, basically what I've done, Larry, is I've, I travel a lot on the road. I have for the last 25 years. So I've been listening to audio over 50,000, if, if not 75,000. And if I didn't understand something, I would just rewind it again. And it's the mixture between uh, health, psychology, business, religion. The religion side, I, I'm, uh, I'm non-religious. I'm just uh, spiritual. But I like to understand how people think. And when you get that whole mix, it, gets, it gives you kind of an idea of a holistic way to view how things are. And it really helped me boost my confidence over the years. I mean, you listen to the president or astronaut, and basically they put their legs in each pants the same way we do. They have their struggle. We look at people on TV, and we think that their lives is perfect. But you look at all kinds of people that are no happier than somebody that can barely survive. So. You know, so it's a, you get to see all that. Sure. And so what exactly was it that other than just taking in all of this knowledge from various sources, what was it that inspired you to become or be a life coach? What happened is I was driving back 
from uh, Cape Breton. A lot of people from the U.S. come over. We have a change of colors of leaves, and I travel the road a lot. And I was thinking I travel so much that I haven't been able to help people feed the poor. And so what could I do? What could I do? Then all of a sudden I thought, you know what? I could amass everything that I've learned into one book. And I have the ability to really simplify things, like to a point where the book itself, when people read it, if it's the parents, they automatically want to give it to their kids. If it's somebody that's never read anything on self-help, they're like just blown away. So it actually surprised me how it came out. But it took me 10 years to amass that in my mind as a story. And I wrote it in three weeks. So is that the book, is, it's a novel? It's a novel in a self-help position. And the way it's arranged is the first chapter or two, it's a David that almost died because he was involved in drugs. And there's a reason for that, that I did it this way is because when I was at school, if somebody came over to talk to you, they were either medal, gold medal winners. And, and, and when you're grade seven or eight, you're thinking, my gosh, that's quite a stretch. How am I ever going to reach this? So I start the book in a way that somebody's almost dead. So it's like if somebody's collecting model train, instead of giving them 100 trains, you give them one, and then they pick up interest, and then they get going from there. You meet them again two years later, and they have 1,000 trains. So I wanted to make sure that by giving the book, I would help everybody. And I've given books to somebody. I went to a meeting. This guy was pushing a shopping cart on the street. I gave him a book. I had a meeting for an hour and 15 minutes. And when I passed again, he was pushing the cart, reading it. So that filled my objective that he was grabbed because it draws you right into it. And I it's see. very unique. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're homeless and you're taking time to read a self-help book, then you know, odds are it's a good book. <laughs> so so you're, you're telling me that the main character's name is David, is that right? That's right. So it, it starts out, David's a drug addict. And then how, does, how do things build up and how do things improve as we progress? And how do you intertwine these lessons of, of being able to stand up for yourself or have confidence or Great connect question. with the right people? So what happens is, think about it this way. All of a sudden, David almost dies. He's in the hospital, and when he wakes up, for the first time ever, his subconscious starts talking to him. So we always talk to ourselves, but we never get a response. (laughs) But in this case, it starts talking to him, and it's pushing him in the right direction. So he says, so who are you? And he says, I'm your subconscious. And he says, well, what do you do for me? And he says, well, I keep your heart rate going, your blood pressure. If you have a cold or anything, I help you fight, and on and on and on. And and it irritates him, but yet it's stuck in his mind, so he can't go anywhere. There's only one address, and it's you. So he's stuck in that. So eventually, what happens is Dave comes from a family where his parents sees the cup half empty. And his mind is saying, you know your Aunt Sally, that, Aunt Sally that you go over for a turkey dinner every year? She's not lucky. Everybody around says she's lucky, but she has done something in a certain way. And luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. So she worked hard. The opportunity came over. So what happens is he doesn't want to go. But his subconscious keeps pushing him. And eventually, he decides to go. And then she says, well, Dave, look, uh, this happened before. But how do I know you're ready this time? I've tried to help all kinds of people, and they weren't ready to be helped. And he says, no, I'm ready. So then she starts teaching him. So it draws your mind right into the novel. So when people start reading it after about four chapters, it's a two-hour read, they can't shut it. 
Oh, wow. Okay. To catch up. So it goes really, really quick. And do you need to read it maybe multiple times to catch things that you didn't catch on a previous read? I designed this that you read it, and two years later, if you gain experience, the book will have a different meaning. So you know how the cartoons are today where the kids look at a cartoon and they see one story, but the adult will see something that's really meant for the adult, but the kids have no idea what it is. Right. So the book is designed that if you have absolutely no experience, it goes right over your head. However, when you read it the second time, I talk about how the bank will analyze somebody to start a business where if you're brand new at it, pushing a cart, you have no idea. But if you become successful four or five years down the road and you read it again, you get to see the bank, how they see a second generation own business. So it's very sophisticated, yet it's very simple. Definitely a unique take because a lot of times you find books like this that are either overly complex to where they're written on a level that the average individual that would benefit from the book can't really grasp what the author is saying, or they're so simple that it almost seems like a waste of time to read. So striking that balance is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have done that here. How did you go about finding that balance? My background is vast. Beside reading, my father used to repair watches, carpentry, mechanics, So I get to see things that are extremely complex and I'm able to bring it in a very simplified way. It's almost like NASA is trying to design a pen that's going to work in space where there's no gravity. So they think, okay, well, I'm going to put a balloon on top so we can push that ink down. We're going to put a spring. And then a worker passes by and he says, you know what? Why don't we use a pencil? In life, in many, many cases, that's what the answer is. I'll give you an example. You read all these magazines about weight loss. It's just on and on and on and on. And yet, I can just tell you right now that if you reduce the intake by 20% and increase your exercise by 20 and do that for about five months, the recipe is there. But yet, the same advertisement has been going on for 30 years. As a matter of fact, there's even more of it. And yet, the formula at the end of the day is simple. The formula of life is very simple. Once you know it, and it's like mastery, you go from zero to nine, and once you reach 10, you get back to zero, and it's like driving your car. You don't even think how you got there. When the first time you turn, when you just learn your driver's license, you almost miss the driveway. Then, 20 years later, you're daydreaming, and you don't even know how you got home. And it's simple. Walking is complex, yet it's simple, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a subconscious response, sure. The process of walking alone is enough to be the equivalent of a PhD degree. Wow. And yet, we can text, chew gum, talk, and walk, and get over a curb, not even thinking about it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident if we tried to write the formula for that, we'd, <laughs> we'd struggle a little bit. <laughs> that's right. But once, <laughs> Correct. That's right. However, it becomes simple with practice and using just your brain to make it happen over time. So you're essentially training yourself with muscle memory to be successful? No. To some extent, yes. But all psychologists disagree. They all have different opinions, but they agree with one thing. One thing. People don't think enough. And what I mean by thinking is to sit back and think. And I'll tell you something. Jim Rohn, which was one of my favorite audio that I listened to, he said, 
the majority of people spend more time planning their vacation than their life. It's the same thing as why retire at 65? If you get 5 million when you're 30, you could almost retire and still do some stuff and make some money. So the retirement really is that you have a farm and once you're 65, the kids are old enough to take care of the 50 cows. We've never changed the pattern. Right. Right? Right. So when we sit back and think about it, then we're able to look at things and say, okay, how can I apply this in my life and make it work and stop the struggling? It seems like you've come up, looking at the, the literature that you forwarded me, it seems that you have honestly come up with step-by-step ways to make these things happen. Exactly. Identifying what's holding you back. There is a step-by-step process for that in the book. How did you identify what was holding you back and come up with X number of steps, however many of number of steps that you have? How did you go about saying these are the number of steps that we need in order to get over this hump of what's holding us back from the ultimate success? Before I knew the information I know now, we're talking when I'm 25, I used to rent a cottage for two days. And it was about planning my life for the next five to 10 years. And that's something I read somewhere and I thought, okay, once a year or every three years, why not? And what I would do is the first day, I would try to clear up my mind because you're just full of clutter. Even then, 20, 25 years ago, you still had business, none compared to now, but you still needed to connect with yourself. It's almost like the eye of a storm. Once you can get in that zone, now you're able to think. And then what I would do is, okay, what do I want in a year? And you know what? We hit that when we're on vacation. You're on vacation for two weeks and you start thinking, okay, this year I'm going to start like you say, martial art, I'm going to start training in this technique, or I'm going to start doing a podcast talking about this. And then your two weeks is done. Two days after the vacation is over, you get some fires to put out, you forget all about it. So I took two days. My first day, I wouldn't even push it. I didn't care. I would just walk in nature. But eventually during that night, my mind is kind of molding itself. And then what I would do is what do I want in a year? two years, four years, five years, 10 years. Here's what's interesting. There's times, because I've done this four or five times, there's times that I would not even look at the work I did for three years. And when I looked at it, three quarters was done because it gets stamped in your subconscious. And like they say, if you're a hammer walking down the street, all you see is nails. So all of a sudden, if you plan your five years and now you know what to look for, When you sit down with somebody and have a conversation, you talk about that subject. And if it's the train collection, you're sitting at a wedding and you're talking to a person next to you and people get talking about it. And then all of a sudden, the person over there starts talking about trains. You get right into it. So if you're interested in buying a business because that was your plan or you're interested in podcasting, which I bought your program for Udemy because that's my next step. Oh, all of a sudden. Well, (laughs) well, the nail is your program. I've got a Yeti mic here that I didn't know about, but I wanted to get all the material. So my plan in my mind is I stamp it, it's stamped, bang. And once it's stamped, I just let it go. And I've come to a point in my life now where I let things go through me. And that's a very high level where basically you're like water flowing around a rock. You don't let that rock stop you because you know at the other end is the beautiful lake. And the events going in between are just going to happen. That's kind of like Bruce Lee said, be the water, you know, be like water. 
Yeah. That was something that always meant more to me than just flowing around. But yeah, be like water, be able to adapt on the fly, be able to uh, withstand uh, rocky patterns or challenges along the way, flow around the challenges, go through the challenges because water, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's not just something that's wet. It's a very powerful substance. I mean, look at the Grand Canyon, you know, in, in the States here, uh, that was formed with water and it's the Grand Canyon. It's insane. I know. Well, do you think that, especially these days, that we have a hard time thinking because we are constantly under a barrage of influence from screens, whether it be computers or our phones or iPads or whatever it may be? I think the root cause is marketing. And marketing has no choice because if you want a business and you don't market, you're not going to survive. Sure. So it's a two-edged sword. The problem is, is marketing makes you think you need this and this and this. And the way we're wired is if you were the king or queen of the earth, you would want to be the king or queen of the moon. We're wired to have, we always want more. We always want more. So you have to look from within. That's joy instead of happiness, which is from the outside. The thing is, I'll give you an example. I like to look at things as a spectrum. It could be in music or when you look at sound, you have your lows and your highs. That's your full spectrum. So I'm going to give you a spectrum example. My wife and I last week, and this I'm going to write something about it because that struck me as there's a full spectrum. So I keep thinking about these movie stars and people with 150-foot yachts that are unhappy. So then my wife and I are going over to a, a shop where we want to get some backpack. And we're coming close to this garbage truck that really stinks. Now, in Nova Scotia, it's really cold, but that day was like 30 degrees, which would be 85, and it really stopped. Now, I never saw the driver, but I didn't have to. My wife saw him, and she said, I can't believe this, but he's licking ice cream, and he looks like he's on top of the world. So then you got this guy that's driving a dump truck that is as happy as you can be, and you have somebody with a 150-foot yacht that is almost ready to jump ship. Now, you want to write something about that because right there is the key to joyfulness. Right there. Because that's what we aim for all the time. Your birthright, when you're born, what's the universal thing that no matter the language or nothing, what's the first thing that people do when they're born or two? They smile. That's universal. You're geared to smile. Isn't that interesting? And the reason we cry is we can't talk. So if we're pinched in a corner, we'll, we'll cry about it. But Smiling is universal. That's our birthright. Right up to grade five or six, or grade one, sorry, grade one, you ask people, who's the most beautiful? Everybody points at themselves. Who's the smartest themselves? You bring them up to 16 years old, who's the smartest? They point to one person. Right. Who's the most beautiful? They point to the other one. And half the people 16, 20 years old right now are on antidepressant. And we have everything we could ever want. That's because. Happiness is based on outside stimulus. And when you have too much of it, I love a turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. But after I eat 20 pounds of it by next Friday, <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of it. So we're sick of too much. The person with the yacht is sick with too much, yet they shouldn't sell it. They shouldn't sell it. What should happen is they should be happy to sleep on a pillow of straw one day and the next day dining with the kings. 
what it means is inside, it doesn't really matter what your environment is, you should still be joyful. And thinking is what brings you there. Because we think models are happy, and you read enough about it to know that models are really sad. We see them as like nice lipstick, beautiful. Well, they're worried about their weight. They're pushed to starvation. They're pushed to a point, am I going to last another year? But yet, when we look at the magazine, what's the image we see? That's the way, because it's the thinking. And I'm the same way. When I teach this, I'm teaching it for myself. I'm doing my own manual. Let me ask you, because this is something that's, I've asked numerous times to myself, if no one else, we hear this message of we have to be internally happy. Nothing that we own or have can make us genuinely happy. Relationships and love and emotions are supposed to make us happy. If we hear this message or we've heard this message time and time and time again, why don't we take it to heart? Why don't we as a society go, you know what? We know the answer. We know this is what works, but yet we still do this. Why do we do that? I have three books I want to write. The first book I wrote, because you want to monetize your life so that you don't have to worry about bills. And once you have security, you're happy. The next one I want to write is joy. And I'm studying a lot on that. I wanted to do it on happiness. And a great friend of mine in Newfoundland says no. And he's wise. He says, you want joy because happiness is this. You're driving in a parking lot and somebody hits your car. Bang. So you're totally pissed off. Then you walk inside the mall and you check your lottery ticket and it's worth a million bucks. You're the happiest guy that you can ever think of, a girl. And what happened? It's five minutes. Nothing really burnt your skin. You didn't lose a finger. It was all in the mind. Right. So you have to go within. And the reason for that is when you go out, I said we were geared to be the king or queen of a star or the moon. So you will become a slave of always wanting to be. Somebody's worth a million, they want 10 million. Right. If they have 10 million, they want 100 million. If they have 100 million, they have a private jet. That's their next dream. If they have a private jet, they want to go from a, a six-seater to a 12-seater. There is no limit. However, if you turn into joy from within, it doesn't mean that you don't have to have these things. It means that you and I know people that really couldn't care less what other people think. They're really, they're on their own. Like it doesn't matter. They just fit in. Right. And if they're not, if they're not in sync with who's around, they're just in their own world and happy. That's joy. And that's how we should be. 90% of everybody is really limited and unhappy because of what they think of other people think about them. It's huge. You think, okay, well, I'm not going to say this on a podcast because what will people think? You still have something to hold up to your brand. But if you think about it now, we're into an era right now that we have a lot of people that are not happy and people gravitate to people that go deep into themselves. So if you speak about your challenges and really get to the core to say, look, when I was a kid, I was abused at time. Everybody relates to that because we all think that everybody's just had this plush life. And it doesn't really matter who it is. We never came with a manual. And the way we're brought up is multi-generational. So whatever problem they had five generations ago, it's being passed on to us. Our, our job is to think, 
and readjust the manual because otherwise we'll pass it along to the next one. So thinking and from within is to be able to look at the whole thing and say, how can I readjust my manual so I don't pass it on to my kids? Because if you don't, it's automatic. Everybody, everybody, no matter what, try to do the best they can with what they know. If a parent is not parenting right, they've been parented that way. They've had cases. I I remember a girl that was like 10. I, I read the story. It was amazing. And she was abusing her little brother, like hitting him because she was abused. And then she went to therapy for like 10 years and said, you know what? When I was 10, I thought it was okay. I thought it was great. The mind was conditioned to feel like it was okay. The manual is not perfect and it's for us right. to fix it. So that kind of plays into one of your bullet points in that the book helps us learn what the secret is to being grateful every day. Do you feel that if you get into a mindset of joy, that it starts with gratitude? And if, if we live our, our lives, because I, I, when I talk about podcasting, a lot of times I I like to tell folks to, to podcast with an attitude of gratitude and thank everyone for their time and listening to their podcast and thank their subscribers for subscribing and to thank their fellow podcasters for helping them out when they were in a tough spot. Do you feel that an attitude of gratitude is what will help get us to where we want to be joy-wise? So the, uh, remember I said you always want the extreme? Right. So at the bottom of the ocean is the monk, which is joyful. They meditate all day long for their whole life. I really don't want to be at that zone, but they are happy. I used to work with nuns for three years, and I was amazed how they got up at 4.30 in the morning, and you said jokes, and they laughed, and they were all happy. And I'm thinking, how come the movie star look happy and they kill himself, yet these nuns are just joyful weeding the grass? But anyway, the garden on you. So the gratefulness is the top of the water. It removes the waves. It calms the water. Then as you get deeper and you learn deeper, you get to be calmer. Then what happens is as you get halfway in the ocean, it doesn't matter how rough it is on top. It doesn't bother you. But the gratefulness is the entry to the gate. It's the entry. Because if you're pissed off and you want to be happy being pissed off, you'll never get into the gate of joyfulness. What you have is a rocket on your back and you're getting up to the air where if the calmness is deep in the ocean. So your start of gratefulness is even if you don't like your job, you can say, well, I'm grateful that it pays the bill. And what's amazing is eventually your mind actually becomes happy about it. Like I'm happy to the point and half of it is genetic, right? Like half of happiness is genetic. The other half, you got to make it. But I'm happy as if even if there's cloud, I know there's sun, the sun is behind. I'm pretty well always happy. I just got pissed off not too long ago, and it really bothered me. I've got to analyze that. But I was doing Tai Chi, and I was being filmed by, by my son, and we got lost. And for some reason, I got boiling. I got sweating. And you're supposed to be calm because it's 108 move in 20 minutes. And I got totally out of whack, and I got ticked off. And I'm thinking, what's the cause of this? But in most cases, I'm very calm. I let things flow. And I always see the sun is behind the cloud, no matter how dark it is. And actually with solar panel, just to know we're going to get out of whack here, solar <laughs> panels still pick up 80% of the energy. A solar panel on a cloudy day, if it's 10 amp at full sun capacity, 
when it's cloudy, it's 80. Oh, wow. So we should take that as an example. It should still almost be fully charged, even if it's cloudy. It just cracks me up. I was laughing because I, I can imagine, you know, I've never done Tai Chi, but it's not something that would be, would be completely out of the loop for me to try. But I've always looked at it as most people have. It's a very calming, relaxing, it's, it's flowing. And, you know, I would be the type of guy that would get pissed off <laughs> doing Tai Chi. And you say that it just, it just hit home for me because I could definitely be that guy. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at something. You want to search, and anybody can search this, 118-year-old Grandmaster Qigong. He's 118. I'm telling you the secret, he's 118, but I swear to God, if you show that to a friend and you show them the video, you think he's 60. Oh, wow. So you know yourself, right? You want to learn about martial art. The idea thing, if you can afford it, get the best. Sure. They'll know every single thing about you. Like they'll know even your mindset. Like they're at a level that's beyond. So if you want longevity, try to find something. And it's funny because I didn't know anything about Qigong. So when I got the person to come and teach me home, I had the towel because I sweat easy. I'm, I'm quite athletic. And I'm all ready for sweating. And all of a sudden, she's teaching me moves on just like a turtle. And I'm thinking, this is crap. So I never touched it for like two months. But then I thought, there was a reason why I wanted this. This guy's 118. Maybe I should look at it again. And finally, I got to appreciate it. And it's the only way I can meditate. Because my mind is like a monkey mind all over the map. I'm just <laughs> always analyzing stuff. And with Qigong, I have to remember to move. So it keeps me in the zone. So now I can meditate. That's hilarious. I think, you, <laughs> I think you and I, we're very, very similar. I think we're cut from the same cloth, to be honest with you. That is just entirely too funny. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I've tried meditating before, you know, and it's definitely not my bag. I can't do it. But, you know, there, and, and I told this story, I don't know, a podcast or two ago, maybe. When I was in martial arts, I was always trying some other facet of martial arts, and whether it was competitive fighting or whether it was kickboxing or whether it was doing uh, weapons or whether whatever it was. Well, I went through a phase where breaking was, was kind of my thing. And I mean, when I say breaking, I mean like breaking concrete, breaking, you know, wood and whatnot. Yeah. And con concrete was my thing because it was, you know, it's, it demonstrates really well. It shows the power of the art. And, you know, whether you, people want to believe it or not, there, there's, it's, it's not fake. <laughs> believe me, it's not fake. That's right. Uh, something is going to break. It, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be your hand or uh, the brick. Uh, that's just Correct. kind of where it is. And you have to be able to go into a mindset to override your natural fight or flight uh, and, and allow yourself to hit that concrete in a manner that you automatically know something's going to break, but what's it going to be? And you have to, you have to overcome that and have the mindset that it's going to be the concrete. Now, I had eventually worked my way up to the, I used to do, um, there were two and a half foot long scalloped gardening tiles, basically. They were two and three quarter inches thick, so nearly three inches thick and two and a half feet long. And I worked my way up to 12 of those. Wow. And I was a buck 55 back then, okay? I'm a big guy now, but then I was 155 pounds soaking wet with my ghee just dripping, right? So <laughs> oh, I, there was, I, I was there, okay? But then I had some things in life that, that came at me, and uh, my entire life changed, okay? Mm -hmm. And it yanked me out of that training zone. It yanked me out of that mentality, 
and it beat me down significantly. It was just a, it was just one of life's trials and tribulations, but it hit me really hard. And I realized that when I went back to breaking, I struggled to get through four. I struggled to get through five. I struggled to get through six. I don't even know if I got six. I know I got five. And to this day, I have yet to have ever gotten back to a point where I could get in that mindset, in that zone, if you will, that would allow me to meditate and clear my mind of everything but the task at hand, which was breaking those 12 bricks. And I still to this day wonder, how come I could never get back there? Why, why, why didn't I ever, you know, did I not try? Did I not focus the same? Did I not, did I give up? I don't know. But I know it's true. I know it is a place that you can go if you allow yourself the opportunity to get there. Yeah. But I've never gotten back. And I think that's a shortcoming in my life. I think it's a muscle in the mind that needs years of practice to come back to that level because it's 80% mental. Am I right to say that? Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, you know? a buck 70, I mean, a buck 55, you know, soaking yeah. wet. So I, I, it wasn't strength. The mind is like a muscle, so it's been relaxed. So let's say, like, I know when I train at the gym and I get a cold, and I always have a compass. So I can get out of it, and I know I'll get back to it. It's kind of amazing how fast you get to it. But that's the physical. So what if the physical takes two months to get back to where it was two years ago? The mental possibly could take three years. We, we don't know that. Right. Let's say you're at five tiles, but maybe you have to go at it, go at it. So when you reach a certain level, your mind is saying, I can do five. Then you tweak, and then comes the time where it's got to be the right angle. It's got to be the right velocity. The mind has to process all that like walking. If you don't walk for a year, when you get back on your feet, first of all, your feet hurt. I had an Achilles rip, and I was six weeks without putting my foot on the ground, oh, and I couldn't believe it. Gosh. When I put my foot on, it was in pain, and I thought, I never realized that these bones got used to being walked on. What about the mind? That's the mental side. Maybe the mind takes two years to get ready. But you remember the time when you were 155 at the point you could do 12, and you say, well, I have the physical because I'm stronger now, so I should be able to just do that swing and wham. If the mind was set from two years from now, I would say there's a high probability that you would be able to do it today. Possibly, yeah. You know, so there's a physical and mental. They don't necessarily correlate with the same timeline. Right. Right. No, that's, that's definitely for sure. I mean, if you look at, at high-level athletes, their mind and their physicality has to be the same. And that's when you, you, you often hear announcers or analysts talk about a, a peak performance. You know, I'm still a huge fight fan, and I still watch the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And you hear how these fighters, they train to their peak so that, they're, they, so that they peak at the right time. So they're at their ultimate best when they get in that octagon and they fight. And that's where the science of getting the mental and the physical to meet together at the same time. In the zone. Yes. But it takes Peaked. so Peaked. much skill. That's when you're in the middle of the eye of the storm. And you don't even think that you're driving. 
because if you think that you're driving, that's when you make the mistake. You don't. Look exactly. at the race car driving, looking at the wall. Where do you go? Into the wall. <laughs> Into the wall. <laughs> well, man, you know, we got a lot deeper than I thought we were going to get on this conversation. But <laughs> Love it. No, it's, it's great, Thank man. You know, it's, Listen, it's, go ahead. In fighting, I meet, I like to play with people's mind at times. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I like to joke and sometimes I shouldn't, but I just like to see the reaction. And I really think, I honestly think, there's people that cure themselves by laughing. They rent, they, they rent comedy for, for, for five months and they cure themselves of illness because laughing is really, there's a few things that you should have in mind is you should always want to move forward, have goals to sell, know that. As soon as people retire and they give up, that's when they die within a couple of years. And you should always push. And I like to laugh. So when I see somebody six foot five, seven foot high, I'll look at them and I said, you know what? I hit somebody just like you square in the jaw two years ago. And I said, you know what? When I woke up, he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> they just yes. look at you and then they laugh because they're not sure what you're going to do. And then they just <laughs> anyway. No, I like it. I, I, I love it. It's hilarious. It, you know, uh, oh man, you're going to get me telling more stories again, but I, I, I shouldn't even share that one. So I'm just going to let that slide. We might, we might save that one on a future episode of the podcast. So. Perfect. But hey, man, go ahead. If you would tell us more about the book as, as the release date, the exact release date, where people can find it or where they're going to be able to find it uh, and any other information you think is relevant to people getting in contact with you, like your social media or your email or anything along those lines. Well, I think you uh, post into your podcast. I've seen them like uh, DennisHashi.com. So oh, there's yeah. a contact over there. I, I really... First of all, I've given thousands. I have, a, I have a very successful business, 10 million plus a year. So I don't really need this. I want to give back. And I'm pretty sure if I made a million bucks with this, I would give 600 grand. And 400,000 might be to get myself a vehicle to move around and then give the rest again. You only need so much. Like you have people, like I just don't like seeing when I go to a retail store and there's an engineer or somebody with a master's degree packing the shelf. And that's their end job. Where somebody else that, barely had grade 12 is billionaire, Sir Richard Branson, right? I, it just bugs me. So you have empty nesters. The kids are gone. They need more money for the next five years. And, and, and the one raising the kids says, you know what? I don't know. I haven't been in the work for like 20 years. I don't know if I'm good enough. I know people because I deal with business. They're looking for somebody organized to dispatch and stuff. And these people have been dispatching kids for hockey and soccer. And they have five kids going along where they meet the husband or the wife waving and going by. Like it's exactly. It's like this, you know, when you have, by the way, congratulations, you said on a previous podcast, how you enjoy being with your wife. And I think that's the oh, greatest yeah, thing yeah. ever. It's just amazing. <laughs> She's probably in the next room, like you said, but you know how you have somebody looking for a partner. You'll hear one thing. I wish I could find a partner. And you have another one saying, I wish I can find a partner, but they can never find each other. You have people that have a business say, I would love to find a good worker. And then you have a worker saying, I would love to find a good job. And they never get to me. The book shows you, I, I met my wife 16 years ago online. I met 25 people in two months, with actually a month and a half, for coffee. What did I say? It's an Apple store, there's 7 million people, where you got to bring it down because like, you got to get to your gender you're looking for, an age group. So let's say there's 2 billion. So there has to be somebody out there that will click with me. As odd as I am at times, there has to be somebody there because we're dealing with 2 billion. So then I just went through the 25 of them. And on the last one, I told her, I said, if you want to, you can get off your uh, 
your online dating, she kind of looks at me funny, right? Because she's thinking, what makes you think that you're going to be with me? But, but she's my wife. Like, I just took two years and I compressed it in a month and a half. Work is a pipeline if you're in sales. So if I was somebody looking for work, first of all, I would get the right mindset, which shows in the book. And then I would go see 100 people. And you guess what? You go see 100 people, now you choose what you want. You go see 10, they choose if they want you or not. Think of this. I'm going to give you another example. So they say, first of all, teenagers are probably not going to have a home, buy a house. Okay. Because okay. it's so hard to make money. Sure. I'm going to give you an example. I kind of want to write something on this, but I'll share the secret on your post. <laughs> here it is right here. Listen up, folks. Listen to this now. Listen up. Here we go. So, okay. Five, four, six years university, roughly how much would it cost in the U.S.? I mean, Canada here is like forty to 60 to 80000 Yeah, we'll say about right? the same. Sure. That's right. So you got a business degree. You go out looking for a job, and it's almost like a grade 12. So let's say studying is not in you. It's just not in you. You're living in your, at your parents. Here's what I would do. I would think, what kind of work do I want to do? I would go over to a business that is similar to what I'd like, and I would say, let's write contract. I work for you for nothing for a year, but I have the option to buy your business. Now, there's a lot of people that don't have any exit strategy. Their kids don't want the business. That's like the two people trying to get together and they can't meet each other. So let's say you go for a year to one place and it fails. A, you've learned a lot because you learn how to deal with people and that person trained you because they wanted you to own it, but you're thinking, oh, I, just, I just don't like the dynamic. So now you go to a second one. You could go to five of them and you would pay nothing versus 60000 university. And let's say it's the third one, it's a fit. The owner finances you because nobody wants to buy you. So you say, look, it's a five-year deal. You already learned. You've learned the experience. And five years later, you own the business. You don't have 80000 worth of debt, and you're generating at hundred grand a year. Remember what I said about the retiring at 65? I'm on a cruise ship three years ago. Listen to this now. The concept of thinking. He blew my mind because I never thought about this. I'm on the ship talking to this person and we get talking and I said, so he was like 55. And I said, so you take quite a bit of time off. He said, yeah, four months. I'm thinking four months, what kind of work do you have? That's every year. Guess what he did? He has a cement company and their three partner and they each take four months a year. Wow. So let's say that place generates 500 grand a year profit. So they would have, let's say 175,000 each, whatever the number is. You got 175,000 and you have four months off every year of your life. So what says you have to retire at 65 so your kids can take over the cows? That's how we think. We think we've got to work till 65. Now they're saying 70. If you have the yeah. mindset to be able to figure out a way where you can bring another partner or somebody that's within your organization, and now your three partners, you each take four months off. I'll tell you something. If you take two months and you get back to work, you're pumped. You're not burned out. Sure, sure. You're still in all of that. Like you and I will take two weeks off. And when you get back, like I said, you take two days of fires and then you're back onto the grind. But if I'm gone for two months, I'm going to last a month. I'm going to be happy. And a month and a half from now, I'm gone again for two months. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely guarantee you that there have been times that I dreaded taking vacation because I knew of the impact that it was going to have when I returned. You get you know, penalized. Yeah. You, you, it, it, it's just, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's not even worth it at times, you know? But it's the thinking. You take time for two days somewhere to camp and say, what is it that I want in five years? And then all of a sudden you think, okay, I want more freedom. I want to get somebody involved. Maybe I'll do a dual podcast. 
and one person is off. All of a sudden, there's so much time because we're two. Maybe we'll do two episodes a day, and then I'll take a month off and just go hike somewhere and just get myself ready in Europe, take these cement tiles and go wham. And then you have enough time to go from five to 12 again because you had two months brain time to get yourself set up. Now you only have two weeks. <laughs> Maybe that's what right? I need. Maybe that's what I, you know, it's funny because. No, but. Go ahead. There's an answer for everything. Like, like the, the Rickman brothers in Canada, they were the fastest building of, they were commercial builders and they were getting all the contracts because they figured out how they could bring these, these cement truck on an elevator where everybody else was pumping it up and it was way slower. Okay. And they were taking a Saturday off. It was part of their religion. So there's somebody that doesn't work seven days a week where most people are making 150 grand a year, seven days a week, day and night on their cell phone and stuff. They are not working for one day. They would not even turn the switch on into a building. Nothing. There is no work on Saturday. Right. So you train your mindset, just like breaking the 12, that I'm going to make sure that in five years I will have two months off and I'm going to make it work somehow. Bang. We don't take the time to sit back at the cottage and write the proper things to get those results. And what we do is we do the grind, the grind, the grind, the grind, the grind. And then at 65, we say, well, I wish I could have done that. But we never got off the groove. It's that easy. Honestly, it's that easy. <laughs> it just is. It's just realizing it. Realizing that is what's so difficult. And hopefully this helps others realize that. And Because I know it, I realize it within myself. The book is free for mm -hmm. August. Okay. I'm also giving out some material. I could give you some stories. Like I'm driving a Lexus that looks like brand new, and I, I drive it cheaper than a Tercel, <laughs> Toyota Tercel. And the money that I save, I buy land that's appreciating. I have 24 apartments, and I'm looking at buying another 12 within the oh, next wow. two weeks. In COVID, I, it doesn't really matter. I got a quarter million coming in. And when I was 20, I would buy a car for 7,000 bucks, where most people were buying it for, 20, for 30. So I would have 23,000 to invest. And the, my best friend says, yeah, but something could happen. I said, well, even if the motor blows up in 20 years, when you save yourself 100 grand, the motor's 5,000, you're still. Yeah, you're still set. 95,000 hit. And, and I'm not saying like if you're worth 2 million, buy a new car. But if your mindset is to invest for your future, you have to think and analyze things. And by the way, my friend was arguing about a new car. Nowhere to lie. Nine months later, because we were at the kitchen table with his mother. And she says, I don't know how you guys are friends. Because we were arguing for like an hour. I just like debate. Nowhere to lie, nine months later, hit a bear. Front-end damage, you had to get it fixed up. I said, congratulations, you, you also have a used car. But anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a small five-degree angle. You just change it. If you were to go to the moon and change a rocket by five degrees, by the time you get near the moon, you would be far away. Oh, yeah, yeah. The book I have a prioritization tool, just sign into it. The prioritization tool is the only tool on the internet that can prioritize a list of six things, one against the other one, to get an order that's exactly the way it should be. Oh, wow, okay. Okay, yeah. definitely need to check that out. So we will be sure to include those links in the show notes for the episode. And uh, any questions that you have, please reach out to Dennis. He'll be more than happy to help you out any way that he can. And uh, with that, Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to reading the book. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it so much. All right. Take care of yourself. Okay. See you. Hey, you could be